Thanks for joining us for a podcast from the Illinois Early Learning Project. Our project is part of the Department of Special Education at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and funded by the Illinois State Board of Education. On this podcast, we share information about how young children grow and learn, as well as strategies adults can use to help them thrive. My name is Rebecca Swartz, and I am one of the project staff members. Welcome. Today is October 23rd, and I'm speaking with Dr. Mickey Ostrowski on the Illinois Early Learning Project podcast about children's friendships. Welcome, Dr. Ostrowski. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? Um, Sure. I am a professor and head of the Department of Special Education right now um, at the University of Illinois, and I would say kind of descriptors that um, characterize my research really have to do with inclusion in early childhood special education and supporting um, children with disabilities, really supporting all children, but supporting children with disabilities in inclusive settings. Um, Most of my research has focused on social communication, so looking at children's social interactions as well as, um, you know, their peer interactions, their interactions with adults in classroom environments. And right now I currently have a grant with a colleague, Patty Favaza, in Massachusetts, where we're looking at motor uh, and motor intervention and supporting children's motor development in inclusive preschool classrooms. Okay, well, moving around is a great time also to make friends. When we're running together, we're throwing balls together, or we're swinging on swings together, those are all chances to make friends. So perhaps today we'll talk about some of those opportunities. So tell me a little bit about yourself and what led you to research the friendships of young children with disabilities. So I was a practicing teacher in the mid to or early to mid 80s and taught children who were deaf and blind. And I found it fascinating. In fact, I worked in Illinois up at the uh, what's now called the Philip Rock Center. At the time, it was called the Illinois Deaf Blind School. Um, I found it fascinating to watch the children and how they would push peers away and really seek out the adults in their environment. They knew that they could get access to materials, to activities, to affection or whatever assistance they needed from the adults, but they really didn't see their peers as being anything more than problems in the environment per se. Sometimes they would engage in challenging behavior, even pinching peers or shoving them out of their way to try to find the adults in the environment. So it really got me interested in um, how can we help children, these children interact with each other more, um, even if it was rolling a ball back and forth between each other, um, holding hands while we did some kind of group activity, um, passing instruments while we did musical things that they could feel vibrations on. So it really made me interested in, or got me interested in, peer interaction and what are kind of the precursors. What, how do we get children to interact with each other and see each other more as an asset as opposed to being a problem in the environment? Okay, so it seems like you felt that peers were a really important teacher for children as well as resource for children? Absolutely. So I think a teacher, a resource, a a learning opportunity, as well as peers can provide comfort to children, provide joy, provide support. So there are a lot of benefits that children, that we all get out of friendships. If we all think about our own friendships as adults, it typically brings a smile to your face when you jot down characteristics or think about what are characteristics of your own closest friends. The same is true for young children. They are excited going to school, be it that they have one really close friend or a whole group of friends that they engage with. So the friends are a source of joy and comfort and all of those things 
are things that people just generally need in order to be happy. Absolutely. Um, there's also been some research to show that, you know, having some friends can help with things, mediate things like bullying. So, um, you know, having close friends who can you can stick together with, who can help you in times of stress or um, problem periods where you can go to a friend and they listen to you, they accept you for who you are. So absolutely, there's a range of things that um, peer relationships can help an individual can support. So can you tell me more about when children start developing friendships? Sure. Uh, if we watch even infants and toddlers, we'll see early signs of friendship development. So things like a child even taking turns with an adult. So those kind of interactions lead to friendship interactions. A child, an infant or a toddler who's watching the peers in his or her environment, who's reaching to those peers. Think about, you know, a nine-month-old or a 12-month-old who's reaching to touch a peer or going near a peer, watch, wanting the same materials that a peer might have. Those are early signs of friendship. Those are early friendship skills that we see. Um, certainly children taking turns on a teeter-totter or, you know, a boat that kind of rocks back and forth where they're watching a peer as they're engaging in those. All of those kind of activities are the precursors to later turn-taking, sharing, asking for assistance, some of those typical friendship skills that we see in preschoolers and older children. So you mentioned uh, children watching other peers, maybe those who are older than them. So I could imagine that in their families, if they have siblings or cousins, children might begin to have friendships or the, the emerging friendship skills in those relationships. Absolutely. So um, we can think of those as opportunities for children to learn the skills of friendship. Right. So why do some children seem to have a harder time making friends while others seem to have an easy time? Right. So some children don't have the social skills. So they don't know how to take turns. Um, they might not have the language skills, the social communication skills to know how to get into a play, an ongoing play interaction. Um, they may have problems controlling their emotions, anger management, have problems with problem solving or conflict. And those kind, those lack of skills can really impact then the development of friendships and relationships with peers. Um, those can be typically developing children or children with disabilities. So it's not just that children with disabilities might struggle with friendship um, relationships or friendship, the development of friendships. We see typically developing children who might be quieter or shy or stand and observe a group of children playing at a dollhouse or in the um, pretend play area and they don't know how to get in there. They may not have the play skills. They may not know how to start that interaction. And so then it's up to us as parents and teachers to try to support children in those interactions so they can learn those skills. So you're really thinking about looking for the skills, the specific skills that allow children to engage with their peers. Absolutely. So being able to ask a question or being able to uh, share a toy or say, may I have a turn or even just reach and join in. Absolutely. Um, are skills that um, we're looking for with children. So parents and teachers have to really support those very specific skills. Right. So when should parents and teachers start to become concerned if a child's having difficulty making friends? Are there warning signs they should watch for? I think um, early, first of all, I want to say early childhood teachers are 
um, typically very gifted at supporting uh, interactions between children in classrooms, in centers, um, out on the playground. And I think for parents, too, um, even though many of us might only have one child, we seek out opportunities for children to come over to our house or us to be engaged in community activities where children can play together on the playground. I think when we see our child um, struggling, they, you know, we're watching them and they don't know how to um, join in a game of tag that's happening with some three and four year olds running around the playground, then we can think about how can we help that child? What can we do to maybe bring one child over to our house and support our child in um, playing a game, playing games with other children? I think as teachers too, watching children and seeing do they tend to play by themselves? Now, some children want some downtime. So I think we have to also appreciate that there are individual children who going out on the playground, they just want some downtime. They've been in a group of 15 to 20 children, kindergarten classrooms, maybe even 25 children, and they want to have some time to kind of be alone and regroup. That's okay. It's the child who's looking to join a group and is struggling, doesn't have that kind, those skills that we need to then try to support the child. That can be teaching children skills in circle time, where we're talking to the whole group about how do we, um, you know, create, how do we create accepting classrooms? How do we invite friends in? It could be small groups where you're teaching children specific skills, um, how to share, how to take deep breaths and control our emotions. Or it may be for some children that you need to spend individual one-on-one time um, working with them on how to ask to get into a group, what they might do when they, when you've seen them struggle at the um, pretend play, the housekeeping center, you've seen them struggle because they don't necessarily have the skills to join in that level of play that you might work one-on-one with the child and help him uh, kind of follow a script and understand how is it we play um, vet in the housekeeping area when we have the stuffed animals there and the band-aids and the vet um, equipment. So we may have to teach children one-on-one small group or as large groups talk about this. So we look, we start by looking to Absolutely. see what the behaviors Observe. are, observing and maybe doing a little bit of coaching on the sidelines to give children the words that they need or the actions that they need to do. And then if we need to, we might bump that up to creating a story mm-hmm. that for them to follow. And if we, and if a child still needs support, we might give specific steps. Absolutely. So we move towards from the beginning of strategies, which are just being a real good coach uh-huh, on the sidelines, all the way to very, being very specific. Yeah, and I think children. the point about observing is so important. So really paying attention to if you think your child or some students in your class are struggling, why? What skills do they seem to be missing? I think the flip side, too, is the responsive peers. So making sure that your classroom, your home environment is a place where children are accepting of each other. Now, we don't have to, quote, be best friends with everyone in our environment, but we need to teach each other, treat each other with respect and um, include other children in the classroom and not pick on other children or treat each other unkindly. So I think creating a classroom environment too, where we see that we're not all the same, we have differences, we celebrate those differences, but we see some linkages and we treat each other nicely. Right. And so we we spend some time explicitly making the values that we want our children to have clear. Right. Um, but sometimes as a parent or as a teacher, um, you might feel stressed when you see a child pushing or hitting or um, being unkind. But what do you think that a parent or teacher should try to remember in those moments? I think we need to then 
think about what's our role here. So we so and we also need to think about if we don't do something by not speaking up, by not intervening, we're conveying a message that it's okay to treat other children the way we see a child treating someone else. And that's kind of heartbreaking for a child to, uh, if he's being bullied or treated unkindly, that the adults, if we put on blinders and don't act like we don't see that occurring. Um, so we need to think about our role in that. And so how can, how can we address it? Uh, you know, we address it in the moment, but then how can we address it to the whole group if need be? Um, I wanted to point out too that, I was thinking about the parents' role, that um, there have been some studies out there to talk about how, you know, parents create opportunities for their children. So if they say, in my case, I have one child, I created opportunities for him to have peers come over to our house. So Mm -hmm. the logistics support. But you also provide a role as a supervisor. Um, So you're kind of watching and paying attention to what goes on so that the children are playing together in a positive way. And then when need be, you teach the skills you provide instruction, you coach, as you uh, said, Rebecca. So keeping so, them from getting stuck. Yes, exactly. So if need be, and so that there's not conflict. Now you want, if conflict arises and they can problem solve it, absolutely, but you don't want it to escalate. Sure. So t- so parents tend to take on those roles as kind of the logistic person, the supervisor, and also the coach or the teacher um, so that they can be doing the work at home, too, to help their children learn the social skills. And most parents do this naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also the teacher then is supporting those relationships at school. And it's important to remember that children will come with a range of skills. Yes. And for some, this is very easy. And for some, this is very challenging. And some so children just, have never been in group care before. So we have to think about that, too. Right. Some children may have been, um, or in a smaller group, they may have been in home child care mm-hmm. or just or at home with mom or dad or a caregiver. So them coming to a pre-K classroom or even going into kindergarten, this may be a new experience for them to have so many children and so much going on. So they may even need more support because the context is so different. Right. So watching is very important, being a good observer, and also then maybe talking to the child's caregivers to get the information about what might be the challenges that particular child is having is important for teachers and for parents um, or family members to tell teachers, this is my child's first time, Right, um, might need a little extra help and know that that's okay to say that. Yes. So great. So you told me a lot of things that parents and teachers can do to help children learn the skills for making friends. And so I think what we've talked about is that um, friendships are really a skill that it's something we all want mm-hmm. as people, but we have to know how to do it, how to get there. So what happens when families or teachers or, or caregivers such as child care providers need extra support for their children that they're caring for? Where can they turn to if they need extra help? Right. So I would think talking to your team. So if you have other people who are also observing, because sometimes what's before us, just another set of eyes will help us realize, wow, what's going on. I think the partnerships between families and teachers are incredibly important. So talking to a parent, if you're concerned about your child or the parent, feeling comfortable talking to the teacher and saying, I'm really worried. Here's what I'm seeing when we go out in the community or in the playground in the afternoon. I think if you if it's gotten to the extreme where you're worried about, say, for example, depression or a child who is really engaging in a lot of challenging behavior in peer interactions, then you might need to go above that and seek out more support mm-hmm. through um, in Head Start, a mental health uh, consultant or behavior specialist. So if it's really extreme, you may need to go outside what you're skill set is. Sure. And I just think that um, we talked about 
there's school and childcare is one context where children spend a lot of time and in their families, but maybe there's other opportunities to practice friendship skills, such as classes in the community or um, their faith groups, yes. where there are opportunities to play and have opportunities to interact that might be extra practice yes. for families. I think you bring up a good point, too, that um, I wanted to mention is building on children's strengths. Mm -hmm. So your child really likes drama and acting kind of things or is very um, physically developed in a strong way and likes motor activities, signing up for the t-ball or the gymnastics class or art classes where your child might find others who have mutual interests and shared interests, that can really support friendship, the development of friendship skills too, because you have shared activities you're doing together that are fun, that are of interest to you. Sure. Um, and even just going to the park with yes. a child who's very physical, that's a great place to support friendships. And maybe for a child who's a little quieter, maybe your local library yes. is a chance where you'll sit down and read a book and someone else will join. And that's the beginning of a new friendship. Absolutely. One thing too, I wanted to bring up that I did mention earlier is especially in home um, home care environments or classroom environments is the importance of the environment itself. All right. So sometimes, um, you know, we'll talk to teachers and they'll talk about children playing independently in center time and not engaging with other peers. And when the teachers really critically step back and look at their centers, they'll realize, wow, I have eight centers open and I have 15 or 20 children in my class. So there's so many centers open. It's not unusual that children might go by themselves and play where your goal might really be to support interaction. So maybe you want to close a couple centers each day so that because of the way the environment is set up, it supports peer interaction. Um, the same if we think about uh, toddlers. Toddlers developmentally all want this, may want the same thing. So having eight different colored balls um, may not be as important as having four or five balls that are all the same color. So children aren't fighting over the ball, but they're engaging with each other around a ball, but it's not because we all want the red ball or the purple ball. We're playing together. So thinking about children's development and thinking about the materials you have in the environment, the, the way the environment is set up so that it really supports interaction. Right. So that's that strategy that I often used is the glue bottle strategy. If everybody has their own yeah. glue, there's no reason to talk to each other. But yes. if we have to ask each other for things, then we have an opportunity to make friends. Right. So limiting the materials you have out and then encouraging children to engage with each other to take turns. At, you know, so it, seem, it seems counterintuitive. Right. It seems like that, well, that will just make more conflict, but actually those conflicts are an opportunity to practice those problem-solving skills that are important for friendship. Well, and it's always a balance, I think, between independence. Like some, um, I'll, you know, we'll talk to some teachers where you want to support children communicating, so asking adults or peers for help, but also being independent. So it's the same kind of thing. Where's that balance that we want to encourage children to engage with each other, say around Play-Doh and at the table, but we could have a whole bunch of cutters and roll, ro rolling materials and cans of Play-Doh where they're all playing independently, or we could have limited materials so that, in fact, peer interaction is occurring around those materials. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking with us about children's friendships, and uh, we'll look forward to having you back on the Illinois Early Learning Project podcast to talk about a different topic. Thank you. The Illinois Early Learning Project website at www.illinoisearlylearning.org is a source of evidence-based, reliable information on early care and education for parents, caregivers, and teachers of young children. Thanks for listening and for helping the children in your home, classroom, and community have a strong start in their early learning.